podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. John Paul Gilhooley, age 10. Philip Hammond, age 14. Thomas Anthony Howard, age 14. Brian Paul Murray, age 14. Lee Nickel, age 14. Adam Edward Spirit, age 14. Peter Andrew Harrison, age 15. Victoria Jane Hicks, age 15. Philip John Steele, age 15. Kevin Tyrrell, age 15. Kevin Daniel Williams, age 15. Keister Roger Marcus Ball, age 16. Nicholas Michael Hewitt, age 16. Martin Kevin Trainer, age 16. Simon Bell, age 16. Carl Darren Hewitt, age 17. Keith McGrath, age 17. Stephen Francis O'Neill, age 17. Stephen Joseph Robinson, age 17. Henry Charles Rogers, age 17. Stuart Paul William Thompson, age 17. Graham John Wright, age 17. James Gary Aspinall, age 18. Carl Brown, aged 18. Paul Clark, age 18. Christopher Barry Devonside, age 18. Gary Philip Jones, age 18. Carl David Lewis, age 18. John McBrien, age 18. Jonathan Owens, age 18. Colin Mark Ashcroft, age 19. Paul William Carlyle, age 19. Gary Christopher Church, age 19. James Philip Delaney, age 19. Sarah Louise Hicks, age 19. David William Mather, age 19. Colm Wafer, age 19. Ian David Whelan, age 19. Stephen Paul Coppock, age 20. Ian Thomas Glover, age 20. Gordon Rodney Horn, age 20. Paul David Brady, age 21. Thomas Stephen Fox, age 21. Marion Hazel McCabe, age 21. Joseph Daniel McCarthy, age 21. Peter McDonnell, age 21. Carl William Rimmer, age 21. Peter Francis Tootle, age 21. David John Benson, age 22. David William Bertle, age 22. Tony Bland, age 22. Gary Collins, age 22. Tracy Elizabeth Cox, age 23. William Roy Pemberton, age 23. Colin Andrew Hugh William Sefton, age 23. David Leonard Thomas, age 23. Peter Andrew Burkett, age 24. Derek George Godwin, age 24. Graham John Roberts, age 24. David Stephen Brown, age 25. Richard Jones, age 25. 
Barry Sidney Bennett, age 26. Andrew Mark Brooks, age 26. Paul Anthony Hewitson, age 26. Paula Ann Smith, age 26. Christopher James Trainer, age 26. Barry Glover, age 27. Gary Harrison, age 27. Christine Ann Jones, age 27. Nicholas Peter Joins, age 27. Francis Joseph McAllister, age 27. Alan McGlone, age 28. Joseph Clark, age 29. Christopher Edwards, age 29. James Robert Hennessy, age 29. Alan Johnston, age 29. Anthony Peter Kelly, age 29. Martin Kenneth Wilde, age 29. Peter Reuben Thompson, age, age 30. Stephen Francis Harrison, age 31. Eric Hankin, age 33. Vincent Michael Fitzsimons, age 34. Roy Harry Hamilton, age 34. Patrick John Thompson, age 35. Michael David Kelly, age 38. Brian Christopher Matthews, age 38. David George Rimmer, age 38. Inger Shah, age 38. David Hawley, age 39. Thomas Howard, age 39. Arthur Horrocks, age 41. Eric George Hughes, age 42. Henry Thomas Burke, age 47. Raymond Thomas Chapman, age 50. John Alfred Anderson, age 62. George Bernard Patrick Barron, age 67. Today on the Two-Footed Podcast, we remember the names of the 96 people who went to a football match at Hillsborough and never made it home. Rest in peace to the 96. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 15th of April, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider at the Virtual Privacy Network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, keep your data safe online. LibertyShield.com. EPL VPN will get you 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for any giftware or homeware needs. Right, boys and girls, uh, it is Thursday. And though it is a sad Thursday if you are a Liverpool fan because of 
the anniversary that it is. It is Questions Day, and uh, you've sent in a lot of questions today. So hopeful that we'll get through all of them. Um, if I don't, apologies in advance. But I think there's about 30, so we'll just have to see how we are for time. Um, first question is from Chris Jennings. Out of the front three, who gets Liverpool's front three? Who gets sold first? Which summers do they go and who replaces them, assuming it's like for like? I think Mane goes first, and it would not surprise me if he went this summer. I think Firmino doesn't have the same type of value that Sadio has. And also, I'm not sure how many clubs would actually have interest in Bobby. I think you have to play a specific type of way for Bobby to a player to be a player that would appeal to you. Whereas I think Sadio is more, more versatile and more flexible. Uh, I could see Sadio going this summer. I, I think Bobby will pro- probably stay until he's basically at the end of his career and then he'll probably head back to Brazil or something. Um, I think Salah ends up sticking around for another maybe even three, four years. In terms of who replaces Mane, I think Jaden Sancho is a possibility. Uh, I think Firmino will transition into a squad role. And as far as who replaces him, I don't really know. I could see it being a, a more traditional number nine type. Someone along the lines of Vlahovic, Andre Silva of Sevilla, or my own favorite would be En Naziri of Sevilla. Sorry, did I say Andre Silva played for Sevilla? He plays for Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, I, I think Mane will be the first to leave. And I think Sancho will be high on the list of players the Liverpool target to replace him. But they could just go for someone like Rafinha and play Jota as the starting left winger and then just look, look to add a bit more depth as well. Uh, Mikhail Campbell, 1988 aside, why do the Dutch fail at big tournaments? If the Netherlands FA offered you a job to replace the national, to manage the national team, replacing Ronald, I'm sorry, Frank de Boer. God, I can't read today at all. Um, how would you set the team up tactically and who would be in your squad? So, I mean, for me, the reason they fail, there's a, there's a multitude of them. Sometimes they just haven't had a good enough squad. And it is that simple. Sometimes they just haven't had a good enough squad. If you look back at the kind of mid-90s where they had that great Ajax team to sort of use as a foundation, they had a lot of young players, and then they had a lot of egotistical players. And I think that's basically what cost them in, like, say, 96, 98, was too much youth and then too much ego. As for how I would set them up, I mean, I'd like to see a front three with Memphis as a false nine, Myron Boadu as one side, and Daniel Malin as the other. In midfield, I'd build it around Frankie de Jong for obvious reasons. I do like Tian Coop Miners, but I'm not sure he fits perfectly. I'd like to see a back three. So if I went with Delict, Van Dyke, and Botman as a back three, Denzel Dumfries as a Right wing back, I suppose. I mean, Van Aanholt is one of their better left backs. They don't really have 
great depth in the fullback areas at the moment. So, I mean, maybe you'd look at playing like a three di- a, a three diamond three, the the Louis Van Hal formation. But you'd have to build the midfield around Frankie. Maybe play Wijnaldum and Darun as the wide players in in a diamond who can shuttle in and fill in a fullback. Mohamed Ihatarin of PSV, he might be your number 10. Use him, although you've you've got to have Ryan Gravenberch, haven't you? So Gravenberch is sort of a 10. De Jong is your deepest player. Wijnaldum and Darun maybe as your sort of shuttlers who can become your wing-backs if needed. And then De Ligt, Van Dijk and, and, Klaas, and um, Botman as the back three. They don't have a great selection of goalkeepers at the moment. I'd, I'd probably go Jasper Sillison. But yeah, the front three would be would be what I said. I'd, I'd go Depay as a false nine. I'd play um, Daniel Malin off the left and Guadu off the right. And just go for pace and movement. Um, but look, I, I think I think Frank De Boer is doing a doing a stellar job at the moment. But yeah, I think the reason they fail has largely been a lack of talent over the last thirty two years. They've always had like half a good team and not quite the rest. Um, P Hawkins eighty five asks, how do we acquire the best coaching staff from youth level to first team, and would Klopp stop it? And second question, how do we ensure we're getting top prospects before we pay loads of money for them? The answer to the second one is just is scouting. Scouting and recruitment. Knowing who the very best are. Having that in-depth database built up of who the very best young players are. I believe Liverpool have that at the moment. When you see how they've been in on the, the likes of Sancho and Saka and Smith Rowe, at a young age, before they've even signed their professional contracts, you see them get Harvey Ellie, you see them get Cade Gordon. I think we'll see them continue to be aggressive in that regard, going for younger players uh, and trying to avoid paying the big fees. They'll be happy enough to pay whatever comes through uh, a tribunal. Um, as far as the coaching side, I mean, we, we do have great coaches at the academy. That That is undoubted at the first team level Jurgen Klopp is going to pick his his coaching staff and that's all there will be to it he likely has a say in who coaches at youth level as well though I think Alex Ingletorpe normally takes the lead on that type of thing but yeah I mean you gave reason for question one is a better goalkeeping coach I would agree I don't think any goalkeeper um, who's played under John Achterberg has gotten better. In fact, I would say they've all gotten substantially worse. Reina got worse, Mignolet got worse, Carius got worse, and Alison Becker has gotten worse under him. Um, people can say, oh, well, you don't know what goes on in the training ground, but it, it's almost like we have these games that they play every week that we can judge them on. And um, yeah, I think John Achterberg is, is probably a really nice guy. But the evidence is he stinks at his job. Um, Dara McCusker, Uphul, 6198. Is Klopp's in-game management and subs slowly getting worse? I think it is. I do think it is. 
Um, but but I think that's this season. His in-game management has never been great anyway. But this season it has been quite poor. But I would put that down to a lot of factors. Injuries, the personal trauma he's been through. I just think the weight of it all, the exhaustion of it all, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I do think he calls Liverpool the tie against Real Madrid. Um, is is starting eleven in the first leg? His in-game management yesterday, I, I thought, were quite poor. But he's still a great manager, and if he were to be, if he were to be fired tomorrow, or he was to choose to leave Liverpool tomorrow, other than Real and Atleti in Spain, Inter in. Italy, Man City in England, and maybe PSG. I don't think I, I think every other club in, in Europe would immediately remove their manager if they thought they could get him. And PSG probably would as well because he's, he's he's a better manager than Pochettino. It's just that Poch has history there, and they've just appointed him. At Chelsea, the same with, with Tuchel. They've just appointed him. They probably wouldn't move on. Um, but then again, they, they might. They might. Uh, but every other club would, would 100% want him. 100% want him. Um, okay, B. Carol, Carliano. Uh, I've been asking myself this one for a while. Is it a case that our front three don't have enough power in their shots and as a result they can't score from far away or acute angles? I think Salah generates really good power in his shooting. Firmino's shooting is wildly inconsistent and always has been. Mane's Mane seems to be stronger shooting with his left foot than his right foot. I don't think that's the case. I do think they can generate great amounts of power. I do think it's just an inconsistency thing. It's a striking technique thing. Uh, I think Moles is very consistent. The other two kind of less so. But Sadio tends to take a lot of shots when he's off balance. And that's not ideal because he's not able to generate the full power that he would be normally. Firmino, I, I don't know if it's a concentration thing, but we see Bobby take a shot last night from 25 yards and it fired over the crossbar. And then we've seen him six yards out dribble the ball to the goalkeeper. So uh, it's a hard one. I, I don't actually know. Um... <laughs> Barrels, uh, backseat man, LFC. To what extent do we agree that Liverpool would have walked the Madrid tie with Captain Jordan Henderson available? Um, no, ab- absolutely not. He, he would have made no difference in the away leg. Uh, he might have made a bit of a difference last night, but he would have been playing instead of James Milner, who played well. So he wouldn't have made any difference. It's as simple as that. He, he just wouldn't. He has played most of the season and been dreadful. So, no, he wouldn't have made any difference. Um, LFC 92, are we going to see the return of the 4-4-2 at the end of the 4-3-3 we've seen for so many years? How many, How do Liverpool move forward? What players does this team need to evolve? And what is the nat- natural progression to the way we play 4-2-3-1 like Klopp's Dortmund? Um, I, I do think 4-4-2 and, and formations like that will make more of a comeback. We're seeing more and more wingers in the game now. And they're not all wide forwards. There's been this fascination with shoehorning them in as wide wide forwards. But most of them are so much more comfortable in wide positions. We're also seeing kind of a a growth in centre midfield. 
and I think that'll suit itself back to playing more double pivots. Um, I think you might even see 4-2-4, 4-2-2-2, get more lines on the pitch, makes it easier for players to bypass midfields and defences, etc. Uh, as for Liverpool, I, I think they're going that way. We saw it last night. They went to the 4-2-3-1. Um, they already have the double pivot for it in Fabinho and Thiago. That'll be perfect. They have three quarters of the back for Trent, Virgil, Robertson. They're looking to bring in that right centre-back in Canate, so that's fine. They'll have Allison in goal. I think Mo will be the nine. If it's 4-2-3-1, Mo will be the nine. In terms of what they have already, Mane on the right, Firmino was a 10, and I would look to bring in a left winger or bring in a right winger and leave Mane on the left, bring in a Rafinha and leave Mane on the left. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they're too far away from it. Now, ideally, I'd rather play 4-4-2 and play two up front with Salah and a partner because I think you'll get more from Mo that way especially if that's a target man type who can hold the ball up, link play, make runs into the channels, do a lot of the things Kareem Benzema did last night, for example. Um, so I don't think Liverpool are, are far away. I think two players, two players probably does it for them. Um, what's your opinion on Mane? That's from Nabilad. Um, honestly, I don't know. He's been dreadful since October, but he got he got COVID in October. So it is possible it's just long COVID. It, it really is possible that it's long COVID. We saw Trent be terrible for months after he had COVID, so it could well be the same thing with Mane. I would hate to think that we're starting to see a decline from him, but this is maybe the most stark drop-off I've ever seen a player have from the level Sadio was at last season when he was Liverpool's best player and should have won Football of the Year but got robbed of that award because uh, of a media campaign, um, to where he is now, where he's he's not worthy of a place in the team. But he's actually not worthy of a place in the team right now. So um, I hope it's long COVID and I hope he can be fine for next season. It wouldn't surprise me if he was moved on this summer, though. Um your three favorite UEFA Cup UCL underdog runs of the 2000s. 2000s. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Is that 2001? Really like that team. Um, let me see. It was, it was Leverkusen. That's 2002, maybe. Yeah, 2002. Champions League final. Bayer Leverkusen. I just really like this team. Um, Lucio would go on and become much more highly regarded and highly known, but he was brilliant in that team. Bernd Schneider was a great player. It was the emergence of Michael Ballack on the on the world scene. He was sensational. Uh, I loved Basturk as a 10. I thought he was a great player. And then you had Dimitar Berbatov, a very young Dimitar Berbatov coming off the bench uh, behind Oliver Nouvel. It's, it's a shame he wasn't starting because Seeing Balak and Berbatov uh, together regularly would have been would have been great. I would also go with Liverpool in 05. I, I think we were absolutely underdogs throughout that run. Um, 
that Juventus team that we knocked out were were brilliant under Capello. The the Chelsea team that we knocked out under Mourinho were great. And then the AC Milan team in the final. I think absolutely a great team. And then as far as a third, um, Ajax last, no, not last year, the year before, the year Liverpool won it, Ajax when they got to the semi-finals. Uh, I know they didn't reach the final, but I, I just thought that Ajax team, they were so much fun to watch. And um, yeah, I, I'd go for those three. Um my surname is Can too, because my surname is Can One is is banned. Um, do Liverpool need an updated front three with Bobby or Manny going out? Should Ginny be persuaded to stay? Look, if Ginny decides to stay, great. If he doesn't, best of luck to him in whatever he goes to do next. He's been a great servant for Liverpool, but I I don't know that you should be persuading him to stay. He either wants to be at the club or he doesn't want to be at the club. I don't think there's a real grey area there. Um, as far as the front three, yeah, I, I think they do. Even if it's just adding someone else to it and making it a front four and then having, say, Jota as a as a fifth, ideally you'd want six. If you've got a front four, you want six. Um, so Bobby would be the first one to upgrade on because he's been bad for two seasons. So you'd hope that you get Sadio back to normal. If you play Sadio left side, if you could bring in, say, Rafinha and En Naziri, and that's your front four. And then you've got Firmino and Jota as the depth options there. Jota can play both wings, can play through the middle. Firmino can play through the middle. Bobby can also enable you to play a 4-2-3-1 by playing off either Salah or En Naziri. That, for me, would be the preference. Bring in two attackers, go to a front four. Um, you can bring back Harvey Elliott as a as a backup player as well. If you wanted to keep Minamino, if you don't get the offer that you want from you could do that as well, and then you've got your depth. But Shakiri and Divock and Wilson, they all need to be sold anyway. And the three of them should fund one of the two starters that you want. And if you can sell Minamino, then you should have... You know, they've also got Iwaniyi, who's on loan, who's never going to play for the club. Uh, he's highly rated in Germany. If they could sell the five of them, they'd go quite a long way towards funding the two that I would want to bring in. And if you've got Firmino and Jota and then and, and Elliot as your backups, you've got seven for four spots. And I, I think at that point you're fine. Um but yeah I, I do think I do think they need to make uh, a, ch- a change up front. Um Shamak underscore YNWA a couple of questions. What could Klopp have done differently in the second leg? Um, well, the starting eleven. Look, he got it right in that in that it worked. They played well, but then it didn't work because they didn't win the game. Milner played well and justified his selection, but again, that still doesn't mean that if Thiago had played instead of him, it wouldn't have worked better. And that Liverpool wouldn't have gotten a result. You're kind of in this area of uncertainty because they lost the game, even though they played well. The substitutions is where he got it wrong. He should have taken off Nat Phillips, not Quebec. But at the same time, I, I would have also preferred to have seen Fabinho stay in midfield. So maybe you take off Wijnaldum at that point and bring on Thiago and go with the Thiago-Fabinho double pivot 
in front of Phillips in Quebec. And then you get your front four on the field that way. Um, he left Mane on for far too long. I mean, Sadio had been poor. The thing with Ginny as well is when that substitution was made, about three minutes later, Ginny just looked shattered. Just looked absolutely exhausted. So I, I think bringing him and Milner off would have been the call. Um, get Thiago and Jota on for them to leave the back four as it was. But yeah, and I, like I say, I think he left Mane on too long. I think Sadio maybe on, on 75 should have been brought off, or, or even, sorry, on 65, rather than on 80. Um, and the other thing as well is when he brought on Ox and Shakiri, he went to kind of a box midfield with Ox from the left and Shakiri from the right, and what that did was it made everything really, really narrow. Everything got too tight in the middle of the field, and Real were really comfortable with it. I would have preferred to see Ox on the right and Shaq on the left, just getting the ball and putting the ball into the area. If you're going to keep Nat Phillips on, stick him up front for the last five minutes. Stick him up front for the last five minutes. You have to justify keeping him on, because I'm sorry. He was awful. He he gave them three big chances. He made four other mistakes. He got he got booked. He probably should have been sent off, because about three minutes before he got booked for the foul on Casemiro, he, he fouled Tony Cruz down on the edge of their box as Cruz was, was about to break. And that should have been a yellow card. So the Casemiro one would have been a second yellow. Um, yeah, I, I think he could have done things differently. But he didn't, and that's kind of just got get the rewards, you know. Uh, is it the end of the line for Naby Keita? Um, yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. And um, hopefully for his own good, he, he moves on. Because he deserves better than how, how things have gone at Liverpool. Uh, do you think there's a disconnect between Klopp and the recruitment team? Michael Edwards signing a lot of creative midfielders and full-backs who Klopp doesn't trust. Jurgen Klopp was the driving force behind the signings of Naby Keita and Thiago Alcantara. So no, there's no disconnect. There's no disconnect at all. Jurgen Klopp was the driving force behind signing both of those players. Especially Thiago. So I wouldn't say there's any disconnect at all. Eddie Gibbs asks, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, did he have us all fooled? No, because this season is impossible to read anything off. Um, we're likely going to end up with, you know, record lows for top four and second. Um, it'll be one of the lowest ever points totals for winning the league. Um, he's been fortunate that he's had far less injuries than many others. City, uh, United haven't really had any kind of injury crisis across the season. You know, Phil Jones missed a load of games. He doesn't play anyway. United haven't had um, a major injury crisis this season. If you have a look at their team and who's playing, De Gea has played 24 league games. But that's by choice. I think he missed one when he went home for the birth of his child. But it's by choice that he has been um, been, been out of the team. Harry Maguire's played all 31. Lindelof played 24. He was dropped. He wasn't injured. Baye came into the team. Then Baye got hurt again. Uh, Luke Shaw. 25 games. Two off the bench. So he's only missed. He's only not played in four games. Well, they bought Alex Tellez in the summer for a substantial chunk of money. So I'd imagine 
you know, they had to play him at some point. Um, Aaron Juan Bissaka, 29 games and he missed two. So no, no issues there. Uh, in midfield, Fred has played tw- in 25 games. Scott McTominay's played in 27. Nemanja Matic has played in 16. But again, it's by choice. It's not because they've been left out, that, that they've been injured. Um, Donny van de Beek, the worst signing of the season is, in terms of uh, what, what's happened to him. He's played in 14 games. But again, that's down to Ollie. He was injured for a little while, about three weeks maybe. But it's down to Ollie. Pogba has missed missed some time with injuries. Um, but a couple of games. He, he was on the bench for a bunch of games. Um, he maybe missed six weeks. Maybe missed six weeks. Bruno Fernandes played in all 31 Premier League games. Rashford has played all 31 games. Greenwood has played 25. Martial has had some injury problems, and so has Cavani. But they have largely been fit and available, their best 11, bar Pogba and Martial. And that's it. And even those two didn't miss endless months. So, no, I I think he's just been quite fortunate, to be completely honest with you. Uh, If you were to add a new coach to Klopp's team, who would you choose and why? Can I say Peter Buvac? Um, No, I I think I, I... let me think. Um, I'd add a better goalkeeping coach. I'd go for Chris Wood, who worked at Manchester United and was exceptional at helping David De Gea fulfill his potential. I would go Chris Wood as the goalkeeping coach. Um, Mikhail Campbell again. Can you put the two best 11s for the two Milan clubs that you've ever seen? And who would win that Milan derby? Oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, best Milan goalkeeper that I've seen is actually Donnarumma. I think he's better than Dida was. I'll go with the, the, the classic back line. Uh, Tassotti, Costa Corta, Baresi, and um, Maldini. Reichard, Desai, and Hullet in midfield, I think. Desai is the sitting holder. Reichard box to box. Hullet is the attacking midfielder. Do you know what? We'll go with a boxy type. We'll go Kaka and Hullet as twin attacking midfielders. Desai and Reichard as kind of twin holding midfielders, but Reichard going box to box. And then up front, it's got to be George Weah and Van Basten. I mean, it just has to be. I know Ronaldo was there, but he wasn't the same Ronaldo. Um, I think that would be my AC Milan team. For Inter Milan, Handanovic, yeah, Handanovic in goal. I know he wasn't great there, but Roberto Carlos at left back. He wasn't great there because of Hodgson, not because of him. Um, Zanetti obviously at right back Bergami and Walter Samuel as my centre backs I'm going to say 
Steppi Bergmi's one of the most underrated defenders of all time, an absolute all-time great. And Walter Samuel was incredible under Mourinho. Um, in midfield, Lothar Mateus would be there for sure. I think I'd have to go with Stankovic. And Cambiasso, maybe. As a three. The real Ronaldo up front, obviously. With Roberto Baggio, because he played for both. I'll, I'll go with him for Inter, and he's one of the better. But no, he, was never, he wasn't brilliant for either club, but he has to be in the team. And... Zlatan, I suppose. Ronaldo and Zlatan, Baggio behind them. Mateus is the the holding midfielder, but with you know deep lying playmaker attributes. Stankovic and Cambiasso to do all the work. Two wing backs to go, two centre backs to hold. I, the the AC Milan team would win, but. The thing is that for the majority of my lifetime, AC Milan have been the vastly superior team. It's only really... There was the odd year through the 90s where Inter were better than AC. But AC were better in the 80s and the early half of the 90s. They were better through the early half of the 2000s up until Calcio, but up until 2007. Then Inter benefited massively from Calciopoli and had like a four-year run, culminated in them winning the Champions League. AC have won a title since then, the Zlatan-Thiago Silva team. And Inter, Inter are going to win this year's title, so the, but they've both been fairly average through the Juve period of domination. So... For the for the majority of or the, the longer periods of my life, AC have just been a better team with better players. So that's why I think their team would win. I think it's it's a fair bit stronger. Like I really love I loved Cambiasso and I love Stankovic, but they're they're very good players. They're not great players. Whereas the AC Milan eleven is all great players. Like it's eleven of the best players ever. So, yeah, that that's basically that. Uh, Callum Perry, do you think Rodgers will bottle it again and Leicester miss out on top four? Liverpool are only four points behind them. I do think there's a strong possibility. I really do think there's a strong possibility that Brendan, um, that Brendan is going to have another collapse. When you look at his track record, in the final games of the season with pressure on in the Premier League, it hasn't been particularly good. And even if you consider when he was at Swansea, 36 games into the 2010-11 season, 10 games left, they were second in automatic promotion spot they lost four, actually, they lost four of their last 12 games and drew three of them. Only won five of the last 12. Went from second to fifth and then managed to bounce back into third with three wins on the bounce. 
when automatic promotion was was out of their reach, uh, they managed to play well again. But when the pressure was on, it didn't go very well for him. The following season, then obviously he was in the Premier League with Swansea. Um, they did play well throughout the season, but again, end of the season, the last nine games they only won two, five defeats, two draws. Not particularly good. Their first half of the season was impressive. The second half, less so. Um, then he goes to Liverpool. That first season at Liverpool, the first half of it went so badly that Liverpool considered replacing him before Christmas. After Christmas, with all the pressure off, Liverpool went in a great run. Start of the season when he had all the pressure, new manager, big job. Liverpool were awful. Up until the 1st of December, Liverpool only won three games under Rodgers. So when the pressure was really on him, he couldn't get the job done. When the pressure came off and nobody expected anything because Liverpool were sitting in a comfortable spot of 12th, <laughs> um, then they started to play, but they still only finished 7th. The following season, no one expected much from them. They went in a run for the title. They had the title within their grasp. Within their grasp. And he bottled the end of the season. He bottled the Chelsea game. Because Mourinho said in midweek, we're coming with a weakened team. Mourinho put a draw on a plate for him. On a plate. And he didn't have the, the guile to just take it. His arrogance took over and he insisted that they play to win. A draw was all they needed. You get that draw, you beat Palace, you go, which they would have done. The only reason they dropped the points at Palace was because they were chasing goals. When they went 3-0 up, they could have just gone, right, that's it, enough is enough. Sat back and everybody would have been happy. And then they would have beaten Newcastle in the final day and they would have been champions. The following season, go into the year with pressure because you've almost won the league. Started the season dreadfully. Things started to pick up. Looked like they could make a run at top four. Ended the season dreadfully. Following season, starts the season under real pressure because he's had a, a bad season the year before and missed the Champions League. Starts the season badly, gets fired. Was fortunate to last as long as he did. Um, they had made the decision to fire him in September and held off until after the derby because they were waiting to see which manager they were going to replace him with, be it Klopp, be it Carlo Ancelotti, who was the other main, the other main target. Klopp was first choice, and that's who they got. So, um, you know, he never really had any pressure at Celtic because, well, Celtic were playing against nobody. Rangers were rebuilding after being shut down and he had no pressure there. Now, he did great work at Celtic, don't get me wrong, but there was never any real pressure. In Europe, there was. And his European record at Celtic is atrocious. Like like an abomination how bad he was in Europe at, at Celtic. Um, but, he, you know, he, he had, like I said, he had great success there. He did a great job domestically uh, with no pressure. He 
joins Leicester on the 26th of February. There's no pressure on him. They're having a very bad season. And he does okay the end of the run. Um, took over, I think, after the Brighton game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he won five, lost three, and drew two of his 10 games in charge that season. Last season, then, obviously, everybody knows what happened. Their form from August to mid-December was great. Only two defeats against 12 wins and three draws. Really, really impressive. They're second in the league. And then the wheels start to come off for them. Three without a win, win back-to-back. Two two defeats in a row, win a game, four games without a win, two of which are defeats, win a game. Three games without a win, one defeat in that, win a game. Draw, defeat, win, and lose the last two, and end up bottling. They were they had a, a 99.7% chance of finishing top four and a 97-point chance of finishing third when football returned after the lockdown, and they bottled it. They absolutely bottled it. But they'd been bottling it before that. In their eight games before football stopped, they only won two of them, drew two and lost four. The wheels started to come off for them after they beat uh, beat Aston Villa 4-1. So he has a history of doing this. It wouldn't be a surprise if he does it again. Um... Nick Turner asks, I was really surprised to hear on the AI Under Pressure pod. Highly recommended. If you are a Liverpool fan, check out Anfield Index, Anfield Index Pro, the subscription service. The Under Pressure pod with Gags Tandon, Dan Kennett, Daniel Rhodes, and Simon Brundish is absolutely excellent for any statistically inclined people. Um, the top pressing forward in Europe is Mo Salah, and the second is Ollie Watkins. How good do you think he is? What is his ceiling? Could you see him at Liverpool or Man City, another massive European club? No, I think I think Watkins is is about at the type of club he he should be at. Um, I think he benefits from having played as a wide forward for much of his career or as a winger. And I do think he's a very good player. But I, I think Villa are a club who are going to be you know, a Europa League club. And I, I think that's about his level. So I don't think he'll, certainly not at Liverpool or City. Um, but look, stranger things have happened. He, he's a very good player. Um, rank these under, this is from Footy Scribblers. Rank these under 25 strikers. Dusan Vlahovic, Alexander Isaac, Daniel Malin, Tammy Abraham, Erling Haaland and Victor Osimian. Um Haaland is one. I would go Daniel Malin, two, Tammy Abraham, three, Vlahovic, four, Simeon, five, and Isaac, six. Malin and Abraham is tough. Abraham's done it at, a, at the Premier League level, but I, I do prefer Malin. Um, yeah, I, I'll go ha- Haaland, Malin, Abraham, Vlahovic, Simeon, uh, Isaac. Um, Alison Esk asks, it seems like there will be a huge clear out at Liverpool this summer. 
how many players do you think leave the club and how many signings do you think we make? Do you think it's time we signed a more of a number nine like Andre Silva to freshen things up? Um, yes, I think it is time that Liverpool signed a number nine like like Silva. Um, just to make them less predictable to change how they play a little bit. And to feed more into the you know the talent that they do have at the club. In terms of how many players could leave, let's go through. Right, going through the first team squad. Ginny Wijnaldum will go, most likely. I think there's a possibility James Milner could decide to go somewhere else and play more, but in all likelihood he stays. I think Naby Keita could go. Adrian will go. I think there's a chance that Ox goes. Um, I think Shakiri goes. I think Origi leaves. I think Matip goes. Nat Phillips goes. Ben Woodburn goes. I think Nico Williams will be loaned out. I think Grujic will be sold. Minamino will be sold. Karius, Ojo, Wilson, Awanyi. I think there's 15 players there that could very, very possibly leave. They won't all leave, but there's 15 players currently owned by Liverpool that could well be sold or that Liverpool could well try and sell. And if they can sell them, there's quite a bit of money there to be made. Um. <laughs> in terms of how many we bring in, I, I think I think six is what's needed. Six, maybe maybe seven. Mane, I, I didn't list Mane there. Mane could go, and if he does, then you need to replace him. As things stand, I think they need two attackers anyway. Um, Michael Mushroom, <laughs> Liverpool. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bleep this one. Are we effed or what? Uh, maybe, maybe. This season, possibly. Long term, no, I don't think so. I think once once Van Dyke comes back, I think um I think they that improves the team automatically. But they do have still have a lot of work to do. There's no there's no doubt there. Um Dunno ninety six asks It's two thousand and four. Rick Parry hires a young Portuguese manager from Porto. As the new manager of Liverpool Football Club, while in London, Chelsea turned to a certain Rafa Benitez. How do you think they do? The Liverpool win the Champions League and Chelsea win the league still. What do the teams look like? I, I, I genuinely think Mourinho wins league and Champions League with Liverpool in his first couple of years. That Mourinho is one of the handful of greatest managers to ever live. That iteration of Mourinho. From 02 up until he won the title with Real Madrid, he was just sensational. But when he first arrived, coming off the back of what he'd done at Porto, UEFA Cup Champions League, to Chelsea, he was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. So um, I think Liverpool win at least one league title. I, I think Chelsea probably win one as well. I think. Rafa's obviously a, a great manager and, and would have had a ton of money to spend. I think Liverpool would have had to have spent more money. Um, I think Jamie Carragher is a big beneficiary of Mourinho not arriving because if he had arrived, Carvalho was going to come with him. Um, and remember, Mourinho was out there twerking for the job. He, that's the job he wanted. He didn't want the Chelsea job. He wanted the Liverpool job, but Liverpool got, I think, scared of the demands. I think I think Liverpool were scared. Because I think Mourinho was quite demanding and I don't think the ownership were 
uh, were willing to put up the funds that he would have wanted. But I do think the likes of Carvalho would have arrived. He probably would have had one summer where he would have been allowed to spend quite big. Um, he would have built a team around Gerard, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I think Mourinho. I think Mourinho would have done better at Liverpool than than Rafa, and I, I don't think Rafa would have done as well at Chelsea. Rafa's not as good a manager as Jose. Um, Emmett, aka Emmett, who are some fl- some players that stand out that had future Ballon d'Or level talent but uh, never lived up to it? Um, Mario Balotelli. Anderson, the Brazilian, he was one for sure. He looked sensational. Um, now he didn't. Not that he didn't live up to it. He was never really given the opportunity because of injuries and, and other issues. But Seb Deisler had had Ballon d'Or winner written all over him when he was young. He was he was ridiculously good. Collymore, like I know it's earlier than that, but Stan Collymore, he he had it all. He had everything. Jack Wilshire. Um, Jack Wilshire, people forget how good he was at 17 18. He he ran midfield games against Barcelona when they had arguably the best midfield ever on the pitch. And Jack Wilshire was the standout player. Um but so Balotelli and Wilshire are the two that disappointed me the most. Um, Isaac Gilding, relating to Liverpool's loss to Madrid last night, what are the best performances by a team that hasn't haven't yielded the desired result? How do you judge performances when they don't come away with the win? Effort, shots, possession, the eye test. It's hard. It is hard to judge because, like, you can't doubt the effort last night. But you would you were hoping for a bit more. You were hoping for like a, a, a last ten minutes where it was literally a bombardment of the Real goal and it didn't come. I don't really worry about the number of shots because a lot of that comes down to how the defence sets up and what they allow you. Um, Possession can be important, but teams seed possession when they're happy to sit in. Real gave Liverpool the ball last night. We're like, well, come and beat us. Um, I think, yeah, by the eye test is probably the best way. You could tell last night that Liverpool were playing well and, and trying their best. But at the same time, you could see that Real had a very clear game plan. And that if Liverpool had scored, Real's approach would have changed straight away. Um, Connor Lane asks, would Klopp benefit from a new assistant coach to give fresh ideas? On tactical approaches and lineups, a lot of credit appears to have been given to City for hiring a new assistant last last June and how he's influenced their success this season. I mean, it is possible, but you have to find someone that is a personality fit with Jurgen Klopp, because I think with Pep, Pep is probably more flexible in who he's willing to work with and what he'll have around him, as long as he feels like they're adding to the group. I think Pep is happy. With Klopp, I think he has to have that personal relationship with him. That's why he had the same backroom staff for such a long time at Dortmund and then when he came to Liverpool. I do think a new voice in the room could be helpful. Who that would be, I I genuinely have no idea. I really don't have any idea. But I think it's... I think it would have to be somebody of his choosing or he would be against it. Um... 
But it does it does look a little bit like Liverpool could do with freshening things up just ever so slightly. Um, we've got a couple more. Let me see. Oh, here they are. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Top Red 3 asks, is there any point in buying creative flair midfielders when Klopp doesn't want to adapt the system to get the best out of them? See, I think he does want to adapt to get the best out of them. I just think he's maybe a little bit hesitant while he doesn't have a defensive platform to build off. I think if Van Dijk is in the team, I think the midfield has looked different all season. Um, Maddie Holdsworth asks, who should Liverpool fans cheer for in the last four of the Champions League. Um, it, it, it's mental that Real Madrid are the most likeable, organic team in the competition. Mental. Because 15 years ago, they were the most unpopular team in Europe. Now they're the most likeable team left in the competition. And that's with Sergio Ramos in the team, who's one of the most unlikable players of all time. Um... I think I'm going to focus on the Europa League, if I'm honest. How can Thiago and Keita be best utilised in, in the same midfield? I think a box midfield is what would suit them both best. Um, but I think you go Fabinho and Thiago with Naby playing in an advanced role tucked in off the left, Mane playing on the right, mirroring him. Without the ball, they drop out as wingers and they just provide a little bit of solidity there. I think that's the best way to get them. Thiago has to play in a double pivot. Just has to. Naby's best place is probably in a double pivot as well, but he's not as good there as Thiago. So I think his secondary best position was as a number 10 at Leipzig. I think play him in a more advanced role, um, allow him more freedom and to press more. And to win the ball higher up the field where his dribbling and his, um, his vision can just be used in short spurts rather than uh, having to play as a central midfielder. Um, do you think, Wolfie Moore, uh, do you think we should change to a 4-2-3-1? As I said earlier, I, I'd rather change to 4-4-2, but I, I wouldn't be against 4-2-3-1. I would much rather 4-2-3-1 than 4-3-3. Um, Ross Wood, to what extent is this season a missed opportunity for Everton? How important that they make a break through next year, given they haven't got much more peak um, peak Alan and Hamez to come. Um, I think it is a big missed opportunity. Uh, I think the injuries they've had to Hamez, to Alan and to Dina have just crippled them. They haven't had the quality backup that you would need. Uh, the recent Dekuri injuries obviously hurt them as well. They had a, a group of probably 14 players that they could rely on and unfortunately they had key injuries to probably the three of the five most important players out of that group. They still haven't figured out the centre-back thing either. That's been an issue. Um, and they, they just had bad goalkeepers. Olsen's an okay goalkeeper. Tiny arms is not for me at all. Um, but yeah, they do need to make a breakthrough next year because like you say, I mean, Alan is 31, I think, next season, going into next season. And Hamas will be 30. So they do need to, to get their act together fairly quick. Uh, Trev Downey asks, is Trev Downey uh, just a poundland Jimbo Richardson? Uh, no, no, I would say that's a, a massive insult to the Downey. Um, 
I would say. I, I don't even know who, who to compare him to. Um, no, no. Trev Downey is goaded. He's, he's goaded on this podcast and any others. Check out the great stories. If you if you like listening to podcasts while you walk or run or cycle, and maybe you're looking for something a little bit different, and maybe the world of literature is, is your bag, uh, Trev Downey's The Great Stories podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes, or any other podcast player is an absolute triumph it is an absolute triumph so what it what it is is trev reads a short story and then himself and neil pool another really good guy they basically you know analyze the story discuss its plot discuss the themes of it etc etc so the most recent one was the dune by stephen king before that speech sounds by octavia butler the Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Uh, the Dead by James Joyce. The 548 by John Cheever. So uh, there are 27 episodes so far, all available on your podcast player. There is a website, thegreatstories.com, greatstoriespod.com, maybe. God, I should probably research these things. Great stories. Yeah, it's, it's just greatstoriespod.com. Um, check it out. There's a, a supporters feature if you want. You can get bonus stuff there as well. But it is brilliant. Uh, I would highly recommend The Great Stories uh, with Mr. Denny. Um, now, Trev, there you go. You're not a pound land. You're, you're the best version of you, Trev. That's what you are. Um, LFC Detroit, are we witnessing the end of the Klopp era the high-energy midfield that was able to back the front three and a counter-press is no more. The transition to technically gifted midfielders like Thiago and Naby has not worked. Use of the squad has been shocking. 4-3-3 has had a lot. Has had it. Yeah. Look. The 4-3-3 that won the Champions League and the, the league is no more. Firmino is... Firmino needs to be replaced. Mane is a big question mark. Salah is still elite. Wijnaldum looks like he's leaving. Henderson is injury prone. Had one good run of four months, but was always the weak link in that midfield. Uh, he's now bro- pretty much broken all the time anyway. Fabinho is still world class. Trent and Robertson are still Trent and Robertson. Van Dijk has been injured, and that's the biggest factor in all of this. The leader of the team... The organizer, the best player, the standard setter. He is the big, big loss and all this. Allison has had a dip in form, but he's still a great goalkeeper. We saw that last night. And then you have um, the other center back position, which has always been sort of the one spot in the team up for debate. Um, I, I, I don't think it takes massive surgery. Like you could rebuild it as a four-three-three. You've got Kanati coming in. You're going to keep Quebec. So your centre-backs will be fine. You need a backup goalkeeper. You probably need a backup right-back. But you've got Simicus, the backup left-back. So then your defence is sorted. Then you're fine in defence. Um, you've got Fabinho. Now, the, you do have Thiago. You have to play Thiago. That's the thing. You have to play him. 
So what you want to do is you want to go and get a hyper-aggressive, domineering, powerful, pacey player to play in the other midfield role. You could go with Basuma, you could go with Zambo, you could go with Afedi Valverde we saw last night for, for Real was, was brilliant. He would be perfect. If you get him, that would be perfect. Those three in midfield will be great. Um, You need to rebuild the front line. The front line is where the money will come into it, where you're going to have to spend big money. I don't think the end of the Klopp era is here at all. I think what it is is literally there was a plan and then Virgil got hurt and the plan just fell apart. I think the plan was to move to a 4-2-3-1. But without Virgil, I think Klopp has been hesitant to go to a two-man midfield. That's my view on it. Because with Virgil, the team played so much higher up the field. They were so much more aggressive that there was less defensive work for the midfield to actually do. There was all this myth about how a certain midfielder used to play this position and cover in and allow the fullback to get forward. It was all nonsense. All nonsense because that fullback still got left 1v1 all the time because said midfielder just didn't do his job properly. Said midfielder played far more of an attacking role than anything to do defensively, but was unable to do so because of the high line, because of the press, because of the fact that you had Fabinho sitting as the holding midfielder and if you got by him, you had to get by Van Dyke, and nobody fancied their chances. So I think when Van Dyke comes back, I think we'll see a different Liverpool again. Genuinely. I think we see a different Liverpool again. And I think that's it. I think that is all the questions for today. Oh, it looks like there might be. Oh, oh. Uh, Chris Colby, uh, why do you feel that Klopp is taking off Quebec instead of Phillips in the last few games? Also, how is Parker managing to keep his job when he isn't playing his best player? Is it foolish for them to think he's the right manager to bring them back up? Look, he's brought them up once. But repeating it is going to be hard. I don't know how he's kept his job. I genuinely don't. I think if, there's been, if there'd been fans in the stands and they'd actually been there and putting pressure on, it may have been different. I also think... The Cannes' main focuses are the Jacksonville Jaguars and AEW, AEW Wrestling, and not so much Fulham. Um, I have no idea why he takes off uh, Quebec or, and not, not Phillips. It, it's bizarre. I saw someone say last night, well, it's because Phillips is better in the air and he's more of a threat at the opposition set pieces and our own. Well, he's not. They're both bad at attacking our own set pieces. And it's not like Real had a team of giants on the pitch last night. Nor did Villa really at the weekend. So I think you would have been fine with Quebec. And the difference between them in the air isn't all that big anyway. Um, Mr. Feeling Alright asks, if Liverpool don't qualify for the Champions League, who do you get to suit Fab and Thiago in midfield? For both a 3 or a 10 and a 4-2-3-1, if the ideal player isn't here for that yet. Um, the ideal 10 in a 4-2-3-1, Hasim Awar, maybe? Maybe Hasim Awar. He'd be an interesting one. Um, and then... In a in a three, Fede Valverde would be perfect. He actually would be perfect.
Auer is probably the one, though. Yeah, Hossi Mauer. In a 43-1, he'd be the one I'd go for. Um, sports Lens at NFL underscore Seahawks 0 Three questions. If you were Daniel Levy, which three managers would you appoint for Spurs after Mourinho and why? If I was making the appointments, um, the first person I would go to is Max Allegri. He's out of work. He has proven he's a winner everywhere he's been. And he's someone who adapts to what he has to work with. He doesn't have a rigid basis that he has to force the players into. He will find the best system for the players he has. Uh, number two, I would approach Jesse Marsh, if I'm being honest. I, it, it looks like he'll go to Leipzig if Nagelsmann goes to um, to Bayern. But I would I would try for Jesse Marsh. I think he's one of the best up-and-coming young managers in Europe. And again, I also think he's got tactical flexibility. And the third one... I mean, you could swing for the fences. You could swing for the fences and go for like a big, big name. Like I know Allegri is a big name, but you could go for you could go for someone like a Simeone or, or a Conte. But again, I I just don't think they take the Spurs job at the moment. Rafa Benitez would be the one. Uh, Rafa would be the third one. Again, out of work, proven top le- top level manager, adaptable. Uh, will get absolutely the most out of Harry Kane. Um, what are some of the greatest football club achievements you can think of in the past three decades? Um, Real winning three Champions Leagues in a row is is ludicrous and, and is absolutely the best. I think you have to look at Celtics nine in a row and Juve's nine in a row. Um, but on the flip side, Monaco winning the title against a dominant PSG side also very much worth considering. Conte coming to England, winning the title in his first season, uh, especially going up against Guardiola's City. Massive, massive achievement. Um, City winning the domestic treble is huge. And on the other side, I think Chris Chris Wilder, what he did at at, uh, Sheffield United, absolutely worth mentioning. Uh, What would be your underrated Premier League team of the 2010s? Oh, um, well, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I'll do this one tomorrow before we start the show, because uh, that's going to take me some time to think of. But it is funny you mention that, because I was talking to somebody the other day about the most underrated team of the Premier League era. Uh, so I might actually just do both of those. I-, I might not do them tomorrow, but I will do them in the next little while. Um, most underrated team of the last 10 years and most underrated team of the entire Premier League era because there's so many players that get disrespected in the talk about who's the best of all time and the best Premier League defenders of all time and it is, it's absolute nonsense so uh, thank you for those questions I hope you don't mind me holding off on that one thank you to everybody else who sent in questions very very much appreciated um, thank you to Guy Drinkle who helps me put this all together and thank you to Foxhorn for our title music. Have a good day. Um, whatever it is you're doing, do keep the 96 in your mind. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.